Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Yasmin Farr. I'm the author of Keeping Simple, which is full of easy weeknight one-pot recipes. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to tell a friend. I'm always looking for new people to enjoy Cookery by the Book. On with the show. You're on trend for the new year if you're cooking at home more than you used to. Today, 82% of the meals Americans eat are prepared at home, a much higher percentage than a decade ago. With Keeping It Simple, we will have dinner on the table in the time it takes to drink a glass of wine or two. So tell us about that. Well, first, I came up with the recipes because I was writing a column for Series Eats that was easy weeknight dinners in one pot and At the time I was writing it, I was working as a hotel inspector. So I was traveling all over the world for two to three weeks of every month. So I needed to make recipes that were easy enough to do because I was super tired from traveling, but also were good for me because I'd be eating out all the time. So I took that same approach to the book because, you know, even if you're not traveling a lot, I think we're all really busy and, you know, want to make delicious, fun, beautiful meals, but don't always have the time to do so. So that's really the need I was trying to meet with this book. Okay, before we get on with the book, what is a hotel inspector? Uh, yeah, so it does sound like an I'm interesting sure everyone job. Asked and you. it was. Yeah, it's definitely um, unusual. So basically, I was um, working as a luxury hotel, restaurant, and spa inspector. So I would travel to these properties, um, stay there, and then evaluate them, and then write a report. And we were trying to figure out if they were five or four star properties. So that's why I was going. So it was kind of an amazing job to be paid to travel the world and eat and stay at incredible places. Definitely a dream job. So these recipes in this cookbook are faster than delivery. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think um, going back to that same idea of people wanting to make really good meals, but not having a lot of time, I was thinking, okay, so delivery probably takes, what, 30 to 40 minutes by the time you figure out what you want um, and order. And then I want these recipes to be ready in that same time to be really simple um, and approachable, but also fun and beautiful. Describe the four recipe icons sprinkled throughout the book. Yes, I really love these. So thank you for asking. Uh, so we have four. Um, and the first one is the efficiency moves, which is basically tips on how to approach the recipe. So I think a lot of times when you have something you haven't made before, it's kind of overwhelming to know where to start and what to do. So this really tells you how to approach the whole thing what to do during downtime, whether it's drinking a glass of wine or cleaning up. Um, And you can totally ignore this if you don't like to be told what to do. I get that. Uh, It's meant more (laughs) to be helpful. (laughs) And then there's recipe notes, which are are just small tips on um, good things to know for the recipe. And then we have swap outs and variations, which are for seasonal ingredients or if something is kind of hard to find or let's say you hate cilantro, like tips on what to switch it out with. And the last one is leftover notes. So a lot of times you may have some extra bits of the recipe, so it's ways to be kind of creative and use them for lunch or dinner the next day. Let's talk meatballs. Yay! <laughs> Tell me the story about how meatballs got the better of you. So, it's kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> um, I, I love meatballs. So, I guess it first started when I uh, went to Little Owl in New York City in the West Village, and they have these amazing gravy meatball sliders that are so good. 
Uh, so I even wrote um, an article or a research paper at NYU about spaghetti meatballs because I wanted to figure out how did this come to be because it's a very American thing because in Italy they have them as two separate courses. So obviously I've been obsessed with meatballs for a while and I went to this event at the Food and Wine Festival called Meatball Madness and um, obviously I was super excited and I tend to get, I mean, I love food, but I tend to get really excited. And so when I saw all these meatballs, I'm like, oh my God. So I just ate so many in a really short amount of time. And you know, while I love them, I don't eat that much meat all the time. So I think my body was like, what did you just do? <laughs> so I definitely didn't feel great after. Um, so yeah, so in the meatball recipe in the book is a little bit lighter than the ones I was eating at that time. Okay, the little owl is around the corner from me and I've never had their oh. meatballs. What oh my is gosh. so special about those meatballs? Oh, you have to go. I'm obsessed with them. So they're uh, made with video uh, pork and beef. And they have this incredible kind of lightly spiced tomato sauce. And they're on, um, I think it's a Parmesan bun. And then with a little bit of arugula, and you just bite into it, like the sauce kind of drips down. And they're like the perfect size. Like um, they're more sliders, but small and bite size. They are so good. And that restaurant is just one of my favorites. It's super beautiful. And I love the show Friends. So the fact that it's in the yeah. Friends building, you know, <laughs> all of it, I was like, oh, this is meant to be. So yes, I highly recommend them. It seems like everyone has a go-to meatball recipe. I would love to discuss your baked chicken and ricotta meatballs on page 41. So what's the backstory of this recipe? Yeah, so obviously, you know, I have a thing for meatballs, but during the weeknight, I want something that's a little lighter and not quite as heavy. So I made ones with chicken, which are, you know, taste a bit lighter and ricotta, which is super flavorful and adds a really like creamy and light texture to the um, meatballs and then serving it with broccolini and lemon slices. So it's really bright, tons of vegetables. and It is really easy to eat and make on a weeknight. So what's the first step? What's the first thing we do? So first we take the sheet pan and then toss the broccolini with the lemon um, and olive oil and set that aside. And then we make the meatball. So in a mixing bowl, you, you know, beat the egg, add the garlic ricotta, the seasonings like parsley and pepper, breadcrumbs and meat, and then gently mix it together. So something for meatballs to always know is you don't want to squeeze it really tough or tight or it makes the meat really dense and tough at the end. So you want to use your hands to mix it and just make sure that the ingredients are kind of all intermingled. You'll still see bits of meat, but just kind of lightly colored with the herbs. I didn't know that. I always tried to squeeze my meatballs together like a golf ball. Yeah, no, that's fine. But you want them to be kind of like um, loosely packed. So not like super dense and tight. And what does ricotta bring to the flavor profile? I know you said it brings some creaminess, but... What does it do for the flavor? Yeah, well, I think the flavor is really light and mild, but soft. So I think it adds kind of an airiness to the overall bite of it. So, and also it's really nice because you don't really overcook it when you have ricotta in there because it won't get quite as dense or tough as it would if you didn't have that. But if you didn't like ricotta, you could also add some Parmesan or add some Parmesan anyway or some chili flakes. These meatballs are like really versatile, so you can kind of make them your own. I noticed that you didn't use any onions in this recipe. How come? I was like, why didn't I use onions? But I think you actually could <laughs> use some red onions on the sheet pan if you wanted to. And like um, they would get really silky and soft um, and be really delicious. So I think that's a great idea. You know, next time I'm just going to call you for recipes. And be like, what do you think oh, about God. this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to learn. <laughs> I'm no, I'm you're no doing chef. great. Good question. <laughs> So then we nestle the meatball. I love you how you wrote nestle. We nestle the meatballs between the broccolini and lemon slices for how long and at what temperature? Uh, so you want the oven to be hot at about 425. And you're just cooking them for about 15 to 20 minutes until they're 
cooked through and, you know, just turning them over halfway. And um, you can always take a meatball and cut it open to see that, that there's no pink inside and it's done. But it's a really quick recipe and you want the broccolini also to be crispy. Um, but yeah, it'll be ready really, really fast, faster than delivery. <laughs> and the recipe, there you go. <laughs> and the recipe you wrote, use this time to clean up and set the table and have a glass of wine if this stressed you out in any way. <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah. I know. Well, I think sometimes cooking can be stressful for people, and I really want it to be fun and enjoyable. So yes, I'm all about uh, having a glass of wine and enjoying yourself during the process. How do we freeze these, and how can we use leftovers? Yes, you can definitely freeze them in kind of an airtight container. And then for leftovers, there's so many ways. I love taking a broth or a stock and then adding some greens like kale or chard and then some noodles, and then putting the meatballs in at the end to warm up. Or you can eat them over like cooked grains or quinoa, rice with some maybe spinach stirred in, and then the meatballs on top with some lemon zest. So yeah, there's a lot of ways you can eat them, but they're great. In the cookbook, your philosophy says pantry staples will pull you out of your cooking rut. I definitely believe in that. You know, in my fridge, I have a ton of paste and condiments like miso, Thai curry paste, Dijon. um, And then outside, I always have different varieties of noodles and then I also have fresh herbs and, you know, lemons, garlic, onions, these kinds of things. Because I think, especially with paste and condiments, they are such great tools to add a ton of flavor without a lot of time. And, you know, in cooking, you really build flavor over time. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing, but we don't always have that time on weeknights. So these really do the work for you, which is what's so wonderful about them. I've heard you say you can't live without your microplane. Talk a little bit about that. (laughs) Yes, it's such a great tool. You can use it for so many things. Um, in the book, I use a lot for grating garlic because it's really quick. Um, you don't really need to mince it or your hands don't get as smelly, but it's wonderful for lemon zest, Parmesan. Um, you can even use it for ginger. I've also used it for like nutmeg or chocolate to finish like wintry, boozy cocktails. It's just a really great tool. It's about $15, so it's not super expensive and it'll last a long time. So if we search your recipes online, we will find a common theme. What is that? Uh, Definitely feta. So I feel like you even read some of the comments. If there's a recipe that doesn't have feta, someone's like, wait, Yasmin, there's no feta in this recipe? (laughs) So clearly people have picked up on this. Um, Yeah, and there's an essay in the book called I have a thing for feta because I just grew up eating feta and I love it so much. So definitely it's in a lot of the recipes in the book. Uh, but I had to take it out of some because my editor was like, Yasmin, this is not a feta cookbook. You can't have feta in every single recipe. But uh, yeah, so definitely feta. That's hilarious. Too much feta. Enough with the feta. I know. <laughs> exactly. Stop. What's your favorite kind of feta? <laughs> I love Bulgarian feta. Bulgarian feta, well, so Greek feta is technically a protected designation of origin. So it's kind of like champagne that can only be made in champagne to certain um, specifications. But so anything other than Greek feta is supposed to be called a feta style cheese. But the European laws don't really apply as much here. So we still call them Bulgarian feta. So Bulgarian feta is always, oh, it can be a mix of sheep's cow and goat's milk, but it's usually mostly sheep. So it's really creamy and tangy and often find found in the brine, which is the kind of salty, like murky liquid you see it in. And Greek feta is at least 70% sheep's milk and no more than 30% goat's milk. And I don't know, I think of the flavor of Bulgarian is just something that I grew up with and I really love. And I feel like it adds so much to the dish. Like it really can add that creamy component, but it's also really light and, and has a ton of flavor. So I say go Bulgarian, but if you can't find that, 
uh, feta in the brine is equally as good. Is Bulgarian easy to find? Um, I mean, it's going to be at Whole Foods. It'll be at like um, cheesemongers, but sometimes in um, supermarkets, you tend to only find those kind of packaged like cryovac feta that's really dry and cakey and doesn't have that creamy, crumbly texture that you want. So I would say try to avoid those if you can. So what's your favorite recipe in the cookbook with feta? Oh, that's so hard. Um, I would say the baked feta is um, one of my favorites. It's in the oven to table chapter. And so everything's made in a sheet pan. You know, you put it in, walk away, and then it's ready. So this is one that's cooked with kale and chickpeas, some spices, and then um, blocks of feta. So kale gets really crispy. So do the chickpeas. And then the feta gets even like creamier. It's really delicious. I don't even know how to fully describe the taste of it. And it makes for wonderful leftovers that you can mix it with eggs, again, with grains. And this is one I make all the time and even swap out the kale for broccolini, broccoli, mushrooms. Um, And you can change out the spices for cumin. Just a really easy, simple dish. So once you master the technique, you can definitely make it your own. On Monday night, I made your recipe for miso ghee chicken with roasted radishes on page 28. Can you describe this dish? Yay! Oh, I'm so happy you made it. I love that one. Basically, I make um, a miso ghee like compound butter. So that's when you take a butter and you mix it with herbs or spices. And I'm using ghee instead of butter in this one. And so you make it and you put it on outside of the chicken and you kind of lift up the chicken skin and make this little pocket and tuck it in there. So it infuses the chicken with this incredibly um, intense, aromatic, nutty flavor. It's just so wonderful and it makes the skin really crispy. And so you cook it in there and then halfway through you add radishes. And what I love about radishes is that they taste like potatoes when they're cooked. So you get that tasty, delicious flavor, but it's a little bit lighter for the weeknight. And then you can finish it under the broiler and you top it off with some scallions and sesame seeds and you have a really easy dinner. Yes, I don't love radishes, but they totally oh. turn into potatoes when you roast right? them. It was crazy. Yeah, it's, so, it's so cool. Yeah, I like, I'm always on the fence about radishes too. And someone told me about that and I was like, this is incredible. So yeah, I've definitely become a fan ever since. And the miso ghee combination made it so crispy. Oh, it's so good. It just smells so incredible too. Like if you even take miso and ghee and toss it with soba noodles and some spinach, like wilt in there with some scallions on top, it's such an easy weeknight meal and it smells unbelievable. My 13-year-old said, me so good. He's trying to be <laughs> funny. <laughs> no, that's cute. Well, I'm, did he like it? He loved it. Oh my God. Yes. I and mean, I feel like having a 13-year-old like it is huge. Yes. That's fantastic, <laughs> right? Like, that's job. a big compliment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Job well done. <laughs> what does this recipe have to do with your holistic facialist? So, I know. That probably sounds sort of funny. So I started seeing this holistic facialist in um, Brooklyn about seven or eight years ago, and she's so incredible. Like she really is someone who, you know, look at your skin and say, oh, you're not like for me, she was saying you're not eating enough meat at this time. because you don't have enough minerals. And she basically tell my diet just by looking at my skin. And she, you know, was the one who told me to start drinking bone broth about seven, eight years ago before it kind of became a thing. And so she says that ghee and butter are really good fats for your skin to kind of keep them plump. So I began cooking with ghee and now I use ghee probably as much as I use olive oil. So that's how I got hooked on ghee. Now for my segment called My Favorite Cookbook. Aside from this cookbook, what is your all-time favorite cookbook and why? Pellegrino Artuzzi, Science in the Kitchen and the Art of Eating Well. It's from the late 1800s and 
the way he writes is just so funny and beautiful. And it's really interesting just to read how recipes were written back then. Where can we find you on the web and social media? So my uh, Twitter and Instagram are Yasmin Farr. So Y-A-S-M-I-N-F-A-H-R. And then my website is my full name dot co rather than dot com. Well, thanks, Jasmine, for chatting with me on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book. <laughs>